Hey, it's me. Welcome to Jelly. This is the podcast where I talk about Jesus, life, and entertainment, but not necessarily in that order. I thought I was going to have to be podcasting from the road because I'm going on a trip, and that didn't happen. Flight got canceled yesterday. Things have been rearranged. Don't worry. But I was packing up my pickle, as one would if it's an integral part to your podcasting, and then the car had to flip around, the Uber had to take us back, and... What went off as we're exiting? Almost made it pickle-free, no yodeling, and then at the last second, it hit something, and it was in my bag, and it went off, and the Uber driver was quite confused, to say the least, and I'm just standing there like, oh, I host a podcast, which makes less sense than the noise he just heard. I think I embarrassed my mother more than anything. What's up, everyone? What are we doing, thinking, avoiding? How are you? I'm good, I guess. Are we making it through February? It's pretty bleak, right? I don't know why I'm going on this long-winded intro here, because we have so much to talk about, and I really just need to get right through it. I'm on a clock here. I thought I could do this whole thing, editing and all, before the trip. You know what? Guess who forgot to factor in editing time? I did. Me. So I'll have to do that later. Remember Tuesday? Remember the day, Tuesday? When we talked about the Silver Bridge collapse in West Virginia? And then it had quite a mysterious ending, if you recall. Because, yes, we know that it was essentially... I don't want to say mechanical error, but a manufacturer error. So what had happened was, just to recap, Silver Bridge collapsed in 1967, December 15th, 10 days before Christmas. It was horrible. They say 46 people died, but of those 46, two bodies were never recovered, so I guess two are presumed dead, but we know definitely 44 casualties. Horrible Christmas presents floating in the water. As a local resident and journalist had a dream about beforehand. Do you call that a premonition if it's a dream? I don't know. We'll get into it. There's so many weird details. So that was the disaster that we talked about. And yes, the culprit was found to be one of the eye bars, which is basically like a giant flat needle, except I think there's the circle parts on both ends, so it's not flat on one end. I don't know. I don't build bridges. But one of the eye bars had essentially a hairline fracture that they think was there from the manufacturing stage, so they think this steel was weaker from the beginning from the manufacturer. Can they prove it? I don't really know. The bridge was fine for 39 years, and then all of a sudden a brittle flat, a brittle, a brittle fracture appeared, probably coupled with the cold weather and maybe some other things. So that snapped and literally the whole thing went down. It was like dominoes. That's the story we were talking about last week and now I only really wanted to talk about what I'm going to talk about now and if you read the title or the description I apologize in advance this is so weird for me I'm not this kind of person I don't really care about this kind of thing I don't I apologize in advance for all of the following information I'm about to spout out at you 
I respect myself less for knowing so much about it. So if you judge me, that's fair. I This is just bizarro world. For some reason, I'm so, I need to talk about it. I don't even know that I care if any of you listen to the full explanation. I think that no one wants to hear this because it's nonsense, but it's so irritating that I need to say it all. Once and for all, and then I'm done. I'll never talk about it again. What I'm referring to is the legend of the Mothman, which may not be a legend at all. And yes, this is tied to Tuesday's episode, and hopefully, as I explain, you will see why. This is going to be a long story. I'm so excited to tell it to you. There's so much to cover. Please act like you're listening. Okay, great. The sources for this are a lot. There was a lot of things. There's a lot of materials, a lot of articles, many things to sift through. I will name the ones that I used the most and or the ones that sort of repeat what other sources said. Many podcasts educated me on this. Actually, YouTuber Bailey Sarian, who now hosts a podcast, she is the one that introduced this story to me. And I was like, what is this chick talking about Mothman? And I was like, that, that's a crazy story. Huh, I wonder if there's other stuff on it. Yeah, there is. Surprise. So Bailey Sarian, also the YouTube channel, The Infographic Show, and other podcasts such as Web Crawlers, Those Women Are Hilarious, and then Lights Out Podcast, which I think just ranked number two in the true crime space. That's awesome. They do creepy crawly legends, ghosts, stuff like that. And they did a full episode on The Legend of the Mothman. Most dominantly, though, of my sources would be the book by John Keel. It's entitled The Mothman Prophecies. Yes, there was also a movie based on this book with the same name. No, I'm not necessarily using the movie because what's a movie? I am going to use the book by John Keel, The Mothman Prophecies. He is like a paranormal investigator. Like, this is his jam. Stuff like The Mothman. He goes and he investigates this stuff. And then he wrote it all in a very detailed book. And he's essentially a researcher, too. As I'll tell you, these witness accounts, he studied it empirically. And the podcast that covered it so well including all of the surrounding contextual information, is Astonishing Legends, which I've had these Mothman episodes in my queue for I don't know how long, and they're all like two hours long. Like, these guys are super nerds. I don't know if I believe them, but I will say they're confident in what they're talking about, and they extensively covered John Keel's material. So those are the sources. We're going to start with the sighting. So what is the Mothman? Well, it's in the name. So people are seeing this thing that they're calling a humanoid creature that has wings and big red eyes that glow. So some people say they're the size of baseballs. One thing said the size of dinner plates. Huge animal, human with wings. Freaky. Not necessarily a comforting sight. He's also very tall, somewhere between 7 feet and 10 feet. How did this all start? Let's go. Commonly thought of as the first Mothman sighting, November 1st, 1966, National Guardsman was on duty at 1192 
Engineer Battalion Headquarters, he saw what looked like a man-like bird in a tree. He went to get other people, and then by the time he looked back at the tree, the bird mothman thing was gone. So it wasn't really doing anything. It was just, maybe it looked like, I don't know how high up it was, but I imagine like a giant vulture. Because if it's not doing anything, you just see half the size of it, maybe, because you're not even grasping the wingspan. So that's what's thought of as the first official documented sighting. And a lot of people know this next one. There were five men, and they were digging a grave in a cemetery. I was suspicious about that at first. Like, why are five people doing... What are they... Are they defiling? Are they burying? What's happening? I don't, I don't know if it was their job. That's just what it's listed as. Five men were digging a grave in a cemetery in Clendenin, West Virginia, when they saw a large, brown, man-like figure, and it flew over them. So this was listed as... November 12th of 1966. Clendenin is actually about 79 miles southwest of Point Pleasant, which is where the National Guardsmen saw it on November 1st. And the thing that is a little suspicious about the Gravedigger story, Astonishing Legends covered this as well, the only documentation we have for this sighting is on the Chamber of Commerce website for West Virginia. Why isn't it in any other literature? I don't know if their names are out there. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But that's okay because you know what? There's so many more sightings. It's quite ridiculous. Location. It's far away from Point Pleasant, which people always point to Point Pleasant, West Virginia as the origin of the Mothman, or at least the sightings of it. Now here's where it gets really weird. And I didn't even know that there was all this background information on things that happened in November of 66 all the way to 67. I don't really believe in this kind of thing. Take it or leave it. I'm just gonna share with you what I learned. And these things happened at the same time of all these Mothman sightings in West Virginia. November of 1966, someone by the name of Woody Derenberger, who was a sewing machine salesman. He was driving south in Marietta, Ohio, right by Point Pleasant. He spots what he thought was a UFO shaped like a gas lamp. You know what a gas lamp is? It's old-timey lighting, so it's like a long tube, but then it's like it bulges out toward the bottom. He thought it looked like that, and it was flying. Okay, it gets weirder. I know, this is nuts, but just go with it. Woody pulls over. Because this thing, this UFO, gas lamp, whatever, was like speeding. He pulls over. And then the UFO hovers a little bit. Like it, it doesn't land on the ground. It hovers a couple feet above the ground. And then a man gets out. Not the Mothman, a man. You never know what you would do if you were in a super bizarro situation like this. I mean, like I, I would just freak out and like speed away and probably cause an accident like I don't know that I would pull over but maybe he had to because of the way the thing was flying like he thought it would hit him I don't know I wasn't there I don't know this is just author John Keel's account from interviewing this man Woody so UFO hovers over the ground man gets out walks across the headlights of the car of Woody's car and he's requesting that Woody roll down the window because he wants to speak with him. I would not do this. I... What? Maybe people were friendlier in the 60s. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not Woody. 
man requests Woody rolls down the window. He would like to speak with him. This was the 60s, so Woody is exercising that shoulder and cranking the window down because windows weren't always automatic, if you can believe that. And he opens it up to speak with the man that just popped out of a gas lamp. And then Woody, I guess, looked up to try and find the UFO, and it was hovering higher up in the sky, so it didn't go away, but it, I don't know, was parked in the air. I just, that was a detail that Woody noted, and he said that he didn't mind rolling down the window, because I guess it had been raining, so the water droplets were kind of obstructing their view of each other. I don't know why that would matter. You would think that you would want to keep a barrier between you and a strange man that literally just walked out of an unidentified flying object. So this man wants to speak with Woody. Woody rolls down the window, dressed in dark clothing, and it had a metallic sheen. I was picturing that jacket that the guy wears in Blade, and I think it's got a sheen on it because he's like running through the rain, but it's like a shiny black trench coat his hair was medium length and brown. His skin was noticeably tan. What he noticed, he was about six feet tall, maybe five, ten, six foot, and he was thin. So at that height, 180 to 185. And what's interesting is that Woody was interviewed about this encounter the very next day. So this story was fresh in his mind. And they were like, how do you know someone's height and someone's weight off the cuff like that? And then the interviewer said, guess my weight, guess my height, and Woody was well within range. So for some reason, he was good at guessing things like that. He says that the strange man was about six foot between 180 and 185, and he stood at the window of the car with his hands tucked under his armpits, not crossed as some of us might do just when we're standing and we don't know what to do with our hands. He's got his hands stuffed under his armpits like Superstar. And he told Woody, don't be afraid, and that he wished him only happiness. This man requesting to speak with Woody, there was no talking exchange when that request was made. So the communicating telepathically. So, strange man is just standing there with his hands tucked under his armpits, saying that he wishes Woody only happiness and don't be afraid, only he's not saying it, he's smiling the whole time. Not speaking, he's in Woody's head. So, like, whoa. I don't even... So that's what, presumably, why he tells Woody don't be afraid, and he says... You can either answer me, you can say it, or you can think it. Whatever's more comfortable for you. That was the message that was communicated to Woody. Which, oh, how considerate. I, you can pluck my thoughts out or I can say them. The man asks Woody about the town. He wanted to know if that's where people lived in Point Pleasant. He wanted to know if Woody had to work and what he did for a living. Woody asked the man what his name was and the man said he was called cold c-o-l-d as in the temperature cold all of this communication was mental there was no spoken words from the strange man woody said he knew what he was asking him 
but yet he stood there and his mouth didn't move. He had a smile on his face and he appeared very courteous and friendly. So not threatening at all, strangely enough. Woody wasn't scared in that way, just the strangeness of the encounter itself. It looks as if Cold stopped to ask for directions. He wanted to know uh, what time it was. He seemed rather disoriented, which is a common occurrence with the with the surrounding context of the Mothman. These visitors show up and they're very disoriented. Cold is asking Woody, what do you do? Do you have to work here? How do you earn your wages? Is what he asked. And then Cold said he was a searcher. So that's this strange man's job title, apparently, or a description of it. He calls himself a searcher. The last thing Cold said to Woody was, Mr. Durenberger, we will see you again. We. Not he. We. So I'm listening to this account, recorded by author John Keel, and thinking this is great sci-fi material. And that might be all there is to it. Let's keep going. November 2nd, same night as Woody, a similar account happened with two different people in the same area who did not know Woody. That person, an elderly man, told Mary Heyer, journalist of the Ohio Athens Messenger, she thought nothing of it. Keel wrote about it later, after he called the man to confirm the details. Then this man said, don't print my name on anything. He wanted nothing to do with it because the scientist who visited him afterward said it would be best for him to not tell anyone. And now we're seeing what I guess you could call the visits from men in black because they literally show up in black suits and they're like, don't get involved. So it gets weirder. I told you this is weird. November 14th, 1966. So all of these weird occurrences are also happening within a very short period of time of one another. Someone by the last name Partridge and his dog Bandit, who is a German shepherd, they hear something on the property around 1030 at night. Bandit was going nuts. Partridge spotted a figure by the barn. And then as he walked over there, he witnessed what he said were big glowing red eyes from about 150 yards away. They were like bicycle reflectors. So 150 yards to see big red eyes from that far away? The, those, are, those are some big eyes there. Partridge was a hunter. He would hunt at night. He was familiar with this kind of thing. He knew the eye shine of animals is what I'm getting at. And this was not that. He was insistent. So after he sees that, he gets spooked, he runs inside to go get his shotgun, and then he didn't find anything. Whatever it was had left the area by the barn where it was standing. And then in the morning, he was like, oh, the dog didn't come back. Like, Bandit's probably an outside dog. You know, those dogs kind of do what they want, and then they return. He went to go look for Bandit. He followed some tracks that were in the mud, and then they led into a circular pattern. And then they just vanished. So, what? It's as if maybe the dog disappeared or was lifted. I don't know. I was trying to picture it. If I'm a dog, or at least, you know, someone familiar with dog behavior, could assume whatever it was lifted the dog off the ground. I don't know why. 
Let's imagine Bandit is fine, even though he was never seen again. The only thing that really gets me is animal cruelty, or just animal sadness in general. Like, I can listen to hours upon hours upon hours of children who hacked up their parents and just other gruesome murder things, but I swear, if you show me anything where an animal gets hurt, I lose my freaking mind. I can't even... On November 15th of 1966 in the TNT area. So this is an area in Point Pleasant where they used to use it in World War II to manufacture explosive devices and things. It's not that anymore. I think they transformed it into like a bird sanctuary or something. So what it is is domes that the locals called igloos and then they're disguised with grass over that. So this area is known for building explosives during World War II, and that it's also a super fun site, meaning the government distributes funds to that area because of toxic materials and stuff that need to be taken care of, and it's rumored that some of those toxic chemicals at some point could have leached into the ground and gotten to the water and caused something strange. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be good for the environment or the animals or people in it, one of the bunkers actually exploded. I don't know when that was, but there was an explosion and then it just created a hole in the ground, which I guess the construction was specifically designed to do if something like that happened. Interesting. Now there's just a crater there. In 66, there were also homes in this area. So it didn't get all crowded until the Mothman sighting started to happen because now it's touristy. You can literally go on a tour around and in the TNT area. And that's what two couples were doing on November 15th of 66. Roger and Linda Scarberry, along with Steve and Mary Millette, were in Roger's 1957 Chevy suite, and they were probably going down there to make out. It seemed like it was like a lover's lane type area. When they got close to the explosive plant in the TNT area, Linda spotted two bright red eyes, like brake lights, she said. The thing that they were looking at was around seven feet tall. It was a bipedal creature, which means it stands on two legs. It looked like a man. Its legs were gray and so were its wings. Thing here is that Linda describes the color as gray and the sighting so far they refer to it as brown but if you think of how little a variation that is brown and gray that's pretty close and for this to be the only varying detail in the sighting so far is it's still remarkable it's still the stories are still lining up very well so maybe it's brown maybe it's gray they're all describing a large man-like creature with giant wings. Another thing that gets ruled out is that the the red eye shine, because Mothman, if that's what it is, has been spotted during the day. This rules out the fact that it's a nocturnal hunter. I don't know if we've talked about those daytime sightings yet, but we'll get there. So maybe it doesn't only go out at night? Let's keep talking about the Scarberries and the Molettes here. So they see this thing. They don't know what it is. Would you even stick around to figure it out? I wouldn't. 
Roger flipped the headlights on the thing. It turned toward them. He floors it out of there. Roger's doing like 100 miles an hour. He said at least 75. He's trying to get up to 100, which in a 57 Chevy, you could do it. Mothman goes with the car. He's keeping pace with it and flying. He's flying near the car when they're going speeds of 75 miles to 100 an hour, which is terrifying in and of itself. And then it was one of the women that said it emitted some kind of weird high-pitched squeak noise, and then it followed them right up until the city limits, and then it just diverted into some fields. So everyone is petrified. They don't even know what they just witnessed, and they drive straight to the courthouse, and they report it to Deputy Halstead. Way to the courthouse, somebody saw a large dead dog on the side of the road. Yeah, I told you, it's a little sad. And then they go to the courthouse, they reported immediately, this just happened, which speaks to a lot of credibility because you could easily talk yourself out of a thing like this. Like, oh, I don't know, it was it was a bat or a bird. Like, when she's, she was drunk, you know? It's just, you'd like, the more time passes between the incident and your thoughts, Our brains want everything to make sense. I know my brain does. And if you can't make sense of it, you sort of talk yourself out of it. At least I would. Because then it just, like, bothers you forever. So they didn't do that. These four people, four different witnesses, went straight down there to the courthouse, report this thing. And Peter Hall said he wants to go back to the site and confirm their stories. So he goes back with them area and then now they don't even see what they thought was the dead dog that's gone which is weird because they just saw it this is minutes ago deputy hall said went to use his radio and then this is when a terrible screech came out of the radio when he tried to access it and it prevented him from communicating on it obviously so what was that electronic disturbance strange this recorded instance is where the Mothman gets his name, and it was some reporter that was referring to the 60s Batman series. Because I'm thinking, why do they call it a moth? Like, a moth, they're gross, but they're tiny. You would think that you would want it to be, I don't know, more menacing. I don't know, especially with the big red eye. You would, you would think that you would at least go with Birdman or Hawkman or something. Do you remember when Michael Scott refers to himself as Hawkman? Hawkman. Before they were questioned, this is important when documenting really any type of information because people influence each other. So when these four, when the two couples came into the courthouse, they were each questioned separately and their stories matched. They also each recorded a written account, and three of those accounts can be found in the Mothman Museum. Yes, there is a Mothman Museum. It's in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. There were many sightings of the flying flying man with red eyes, and there was a lot of other strangeness around Point Pleasant, as I was explaining earlier with the UFO sightings and these random strangers in trench coats and men in black visits. It gets weirder. We're just getting started. November 17th, at 4.45 a.m., someone by the name of Mrs. Groves spotted a huge flying circle across the road above the trees. Later that day, 
November 17th also, a 17-year-old boy said a bird-like man dove at him and his car and followed him for nearly a mile right in front of or near Mrs. Grove's house. So on the road in front of her house is where that happened. The, the ruling of maybe it's a nocturnal hunting animal, that's out because these big red eyes are still reflective in, in the daytime as this 17-year-old encountered. November 18th, the very next day, Fireman Paul Yoder and Benjamin Enox saw a huge bird in the TNT area. Who are we dealing with here? What kind of people are they in West Virginia that are just seeing weird creatures? Are they, you know, I was wondering that too, because are they just playing off legends of the area or what their family members have told them? Because once stories get around, here's why I think these people, there's credibility to it. Because they're in the country, they're country people, they're familiar with nature, they're hunters, they kind of know what's what. Like the partridge guy, he knew I shine of animals at night because that's he's gone hunting. I wouldn't know, I'm not a hunter, so I wouldn't know if a cat or a deer is looking at me, but these people are familiar with their environment. Also, they're small town people. They don't want to be telling these stories and attracting attention, which ironically this legend does, which is probably frustrating for them, but it is what it is. So I feel like there's credibility there. They're used to nature. They know animals. This is not like anything they've ever seen. They all said it wasn't a bird. They all said it doesn't move like a bird. When it flies, it sort of hovers. It doesn't even really flap its wings. It glides at impossible speeds. It chases cars practically at 75 or 100 miles an hour. The same mothman that five teenagers saw was also witnessed by an elderly businessman who saw a what he called a seven-foot-tall gray apparition with flaming eyes, end quote. Now here's where it gets really weird, and we start getting into the influence that the Mothman may have on these people, because if you're wondering, like I am, going through some of these accounts, why do they just stop and stare? What is that about? Does it have some sort of hypnotic quality? Is it like when you are driving and you see a car on fire and you don't want to look at it, but you have to? Is there an element of hypnosis? Do people go in trances around this thing? Is that what it wants? Sees something in her peripheral vision when she's with her brother and her three-year-old. Then she sort of goes into a trance and falls to the ground on top of her daughter because she sees something. Somehow she comes out of the trance and grabs her daughter and runs into the house before whatever can get close to or does but the giant man-like bird doesn't go away it comes up on the porch of the house and proceeds to look in the windows but by the time the authorities get there it's gone after this experience marcella needed counseling because that's terrifying now people are seeing Mothman during the daytime. It's happened with the 17-year-old. It's happened with Miss Bennett. It's not this nocturnal creature really anymore. It may hypnotize and or paralyze people, but it's not hurting them. 
At the worst, it might be eating dogs, which is tragic. But it, no one has gotten hurt from this thing yet. They just see it, and they have this weird staring contest, and some people are traumatized after. What does it want? So on November 27th, around 11 a.m., Connie Heyer, Mary Heyer's niece, was driving home from church 10 miles away from the TNT area when she saw a huge gray figure over seven feet tall with gigantic glowing red eyes. This is in the morning. It's definitely not nocturnal. The eyes aren't reflective because it's nighttime. That theory's out. It's 10 a.m., post-church. Connie's driving home, sees this crazy thing. Its wings stretched out to be at least 10 feet wide, and she said the wings were wider than the creature was tall, and it defied the laws of physics because the man-sized bird lifted straight into the air without making a sound. So, like, superhero exit right there. Connie sped out of there. Good job, Connie. Following this sighting, there were at least 100 over a 13-month period. So it's very short amount of time that people are all collectively seeing this man-like bird at different times. At nighttime, during the daytime, it's traumatizing. People are freaked out. It gets worse. Some of the people that have had encounters with the Mothman develop swollen red eyes. And it's diagnosed to be a form of pink eye, not the bacterial kind. It's called Klieg conjunctivitis, you can look it up, and it's caused by green, blue, violet, or ultraviolet rays. It's common in the children that live in the highlands of Ecuador, and it's thought to be due to prolonged exposure to the sun and the less dense atmosphere. We'll call it eye burn. People have experienced this eye burn for weeks on end after their encounter. Everyone at this time from 66 to 67 was feeling weird vibes in Point Pleasant. They said it felt eerie. They said it felt oppressed. They didn't, was it mass hysteria, the social kind, the psychological kind? And then I'm thinking maybe it's just local swapping stories and you know, that's how rumors are born, but no. Outside forces came in to investigate the Mothman. This included the state police and the National Guard went in. Also, keep in mind, author John Keel, paranormal investigator, and somebody who studies cryptids, which are like mysterious creatures that haven't been scientifically diagnosed as anything yet. They could be fake, they could be real, nobody really knows. That's the guy that's been in this town interviewing people, gathering evidence, recording accounts. Also the National Guard, right? And then a member of the National Guard, he was one of the first sightings. He may have been the first sighting, according to... Keel and Mary searched two nights in a row, and they saw what looked like a floating orb in a building. They don't know if it was a UFO or an alien or even the Mothman. It was just a strange sighting. So Keel, he had this bright spotlight... And he used it to flash the word descended Morse code. I feel like this guy is like Dwight Schrute flashing Morse code at a UFO. And they said it lowered toward the ground like a falling leaf. So a sort of swaying motion. And then the next day, Keel woke up with Klieg 
conjunctivitis, that light-related conjunctivitis. Visitors like cold appeared to be not only at a loss for time, but it's as if they were lost in time. So he stops to talk to Woody, not speaking, just standing there smiling with his hands tucked under his armpits, superstar style. And they don't seem to know when they are, as in the year or the time period. It's all very strange. So are we dealing with people that jump through time? What's going on here? Is there multiple dimensions? Is that even true? I don't know. And then they have all these cases of clade conjunctivitis, so it's not the bacterial kind, and it's not like a bunch of people are just farting in each other's eyes. It's They're looking at these lights, and then their eyes are burned. Now, weird calls come in, and I believe the movie touches on this, and I'm like, that that's weird. Like, creative liberty over the top. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen parts of it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, come on. And then, like, on the phone, the Mothman, like, talks to them. And then they hear, like, weird beeps. Turns out, according to people who receive those calls, and there's multiple documented accounts, calls happen like that, where you would hear beeps on the other end. And then in one instance, a woman went outside with a bright flashlight, and she was told to look up. She reported this to Keel. He told her when it happens again, which she believed it would, go outside, shine a flashlight in the sky. She does. She sees a UFO that she described as looking like a burnt orange circle. And then she flashed the light quickly three times. Nothing happened. No reaction, seemingly. It just flew away. She comes back into the house. There's now static on the TV. I think the TV was on before, but it wasn't static. It is now when she comes back in. And then, almost immediately after entering the house again, she heard three beeps from the TV that matched the clicks of the flashlight she just did outside. On the call, this isn't a direct conversation that happened, but it's the summation of encounters with the Mothman. So the quote in the movie is, what do you look like? And the person on the other end, who may have been cold, responds with, it depends who's looking. And I was like, that's interesting because what if this is all perception, perspective? What if this is something that isn't really cryptid-esque, but more spiritual? Are we trying to see something that can't be seen? I'm kind of stuck on the fact that it may be a weird residual effect from that TNT area, like a chemical poisoning or something like that. Could it be a government diversion? I was like, hmm, I don't know if the government would want this extensive reporting and upwards of 50 accounts of sightings in the same area, but it depends what they would be trying to divert our attention from. Was it a diversion because they had to move uranium at some point and they didn't want to attract a lot of attention that way? Although, you don't need to... You just do your business, you know, as the government. If that's what you're doing, just keep keep people out of the area. I don't know, you think doing a government diversion that involves some weird creature that people are calling the Mothman would actually attract more attention to the area? But there was a clandestine operation with the government where they disguised a bunch of trucks as Piggly Wigglies. Like, they just wrapped them, you know, so it just looked like, oh, it's just produce. And 
I don't know what they were moving, but there was a lot of trucks in those area, and they were like, okay, don't look suspicious. It's just going to be 70 Piggly Wiggly trucks all going at one time. Ready? Break. Could it be related to lures of the area? Which I, how could everything not be? That's sort of where things started. So let's talk a little bit from a historical angle and talking fantastical, which most of which I do not believe for the record, but it is interesting context. And there was a author there firsthand collecting evidence and he did it in an incredible manner. I don't know, maybe, maybe read the book, you guys. Tell me what you think. Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. Let's look at it from history's point of view. So, Battle of Point Pleasant, and it took place after the French and Indian War. The French and Indian War was before this. And it was between, it was the Dunmore's War of 1774 between the Shawnee and Minga warriors, and it was against the Virginia governor, John Murray. Chief Cornstalk of Shawnee wanted peace in 1777. They're fighting. Native American chief, Cornstalk, he goes to request peace. Three years later, they kidnap him, capture him, and they were killed. As he lay dying, he had a whole big speech that's recorded in Keel's book, but I'll just read the final phrases. He said, May the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. End quote. When Cornstalk was gunned down, it is almost the exact location where Woody Dernberger encountered the man cold. Could it be due to a curse? Is that where this all started? There are a number of tragedies that people link to that. Everything lead back to Native Americans. They're Native Americans. How can we deny history like that? March 5th, 1967, another encounter happened. There was a Red Cross bloodmobile with the driver, Bo Schertzer, who is 21 years old, they're driving down the road. The nurse sees something and said, My God, what is it? Bo floored it. It was some kind of claw machine thing that then wrapped its robotic arms around the bloodmobile. For some reason, oncoming traffic scared the flying thing away and it left the bloodmobile alone. So why are so many of these weird things happening? Even if they're not related, why are they all happening in this area? Even if one or two are true, so if you're listening like, what is this nonsense? Yes, it's a bunch of ballyhoo, but it is happening so consecutively. How can we ignore it? Are these people like called visitors from the future? Are they superior beings? Do they simply have a different perspective on life because of that weird time thing? They seemingly show up and they're like, when is it? Not what time it is. They're like, when is it? And their clothing is different than ours and I mean it was the 60s back then when they were visiting but even now if you saw someone in a metallic suit you would be like oh are you from LA so then I was thinking about time in general because like I said Astonishing Legends podcast did such a phenomenal job so if we're dealing with time travel now I'm going down a rabbit hole of like what is time because we know that time we people, men, created the calendar, 
and one of the people on the Astonishing Podcast, I think his name is Forrest, which is a dope name, he said, quote, time is just a perception so we can live our lives, end quote. Maybe not everything dictates time like we're used to. That's confusing. I don't even want to try and unravel that, but if time is just a perception, maybe other people, like Cold, have a different perception? I don't know. Steele actually co- uh, coined the term Men in Black Encounters from the visitors in suits that would talk to people that had seen the Mothman. There was also a woman wandering around Point Pleasant telling people that she was John Keel's secretary when he didn't have a secretary. There's another Men in Black visit on January 9th of 1967 at the Christensen home. A six-foot-six, broad-shouldered man wearing a Russian-style hat, you know, the circular kind with the fur, and a long black coat and said he was from the, quote, Missing Heirs Bureau, end quote. He said there might be inheritance for the head of the house to claim, and he said, quote, This will only take 40 minutes, end quote. They invite him in. I don't understand this. I know that this is a different time period. People still say, like, oh, we don't lock our doors. Lock your freaking doors. If my favorite murder has taught me anything, it is lock your effing doors. Much less inviting strange, tall men in. Maybe West Virginians, like, I was there for five minutes once because I had to, like, run into a Walgreens. People are incredibly nice. So maybe it's just their culture to be welcoming. But this dude... He's huge, and he he's telling you that you might inherit something, and it's only going to take 40 minutes. It sounds like a scam. As I'm saying it, it sounds like a scam. Like, would you like to get rich quick, and where did this dude even come from? He, you know, once it, once you go over 6'4", it gets weird. This dude's 6'6". Come in. They said that his nose and mouth were pretty normal, what you'd expect, but his eyes were bulging and it's like they stuck out from his head a little bit, as if maybe he was dehydrated. Weirder detail, only one of the eyes moved, so maybe he had a glass eye. Sammy Davis Jr., that's who he was. I'm just kidding. When he took off his furry Russian hat, he had a freshly shaved bald head, or at least it looked like it. He then took off his coat that was too thin for the weather, and Mrs. Christensen noticed he had a strange gold badge on his shirt with the letters capital K, lowercase x. And it seemed like he didn't want them to see that badge because he quickly maneuvered to cover it up. He wasn't wearing a suit jacket. He just had a short sleeve shirt on. His shoes were thick and they were rubber soled. His pants, oddly, were too short because when he sat down, they rode up to his calves, revealing a long, thin, green wire that traveled up his calf and disappeared somewhere under his pants. I think one of the Christensen said it looked like there was a spot where it went into his skin. So we have this freakishly tall, sickly pale man with bulging eyes from the Missing Heirs Bureau sitting down at the table now and when he talks his phrasing is weird it's as if he's talking like a computer he's also wheezing mrs christensen asks him 
would you like some water? And he says, no, but he'll need a glass of water in about 10 minutes. He then proceeds to ask Mr. Christensen strange questions such as, do you have any scars? Do you have any birthmarks? Where are they located? He also notes somewhere in the conversation that his friends call him Tiny. As he spoke, his face got redder and redder. After that 10 minutes went by, he asked for a glass of water, took a big yellow pill, and whatever was bothering him seemed to go away. When he got up to leave, his shoes squished as if they were wet. Daughters went to the window after he left and saw him raise his hand in a black 63 Cadillac, awesome, drove up with its headlights off, Tiny got in, then the Cadillac drove off into the darkness, still with its headlights off. The next day, Tiny called and said they had found the heiress they were looking for and there was no need for them to travel to claim any money. What was he, a lizard? Like, what? I don't know what this is. I don't, I, I believe this as much as I can without knowing these people. Why would you all collectively make up a story like this in so much detail like, it just sounds dumb. So, like, if it didn't happen, don't even talk about it. They reported it to Keel, and Keel wasn't running off and telling these things right away. He did thoroughly investigate. We have five people in the same family witness the same thing, so we have five different accounts right there. I believe it happened. I just don't know what the point of it was. And it's like he's walking around. His shoes are squishy, like there's water in them. Like, is he some kind of frog? What, you know, taking human form? What's going on? What's that wire? So many questions. And he said he was from the Missing Heirs Bureau. He's wearing some kind of badge, so he's some kind of official. It seems like they're investigating. He wanted to know specific information about Mr. Christensen, birthmarks and scars of all things, which is very personal, also where they're located. Why would anyone need to know that? Maybe these people are messengers. Maybe the men in black are messengers. They're not the ones in charge, but they're relaying information. And maybe they're cataloging encounters with the creatures like Mothman because they're trying to keep it all organized. Maybe these searchers, like Cole, are searching for the Mothman. John Keel then starts to get random messages from random people at random times, and he doesn't quite know how all this is happening. Messages warning of the Pope's assassination in Istanbul uh, by a priest dressed in black robes with a black dagger. But then nothing happens. On November 3rd, a letter to journalist Mary Heyer warned of a, quote, great disaster on the Ohio River. And this whole year, this all these 13 months, there had been a foreboding feeling in the town of Point Pleasant. Then... Keel was prepping for a power outage on the East Coast. New York is where he was from, but he was traveling back and forth to Point Pleasant. And there was an expected power outage. I believe it was President Johnson at the time when the Christmas tree would be lit. The power was expected to go out. Keel and whoever watches happen, the tree lights. There's no power outage. Nothing happens. However, as that's going on on TV bottom of the screen, a banner scrolled by that said the Silver Bridge collapsed over the Ohio River in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. On November 27th, 
Pope Paul VI was nearly assassinated by a man in black robes dressed as a priest at the Manila airport and he was carrying a long black knife. The man was Benjamin Mendoza, a Bolivian painter who practiced black magic. The security guard who saved the Pope said that the look in his eyes was not fearful at all. It was one of peace, as if he knew the attack was coming. So he's getting these weird reports from strange sources that are not completely accurate or the timing is wrong, but they're still kind of happening. So where's the error in communication here? And then the one that did come true was the attack on the Ohio River, the Silver Bridge collapse. That we, that's what we talked about last episode. Is this perception? Are people only seeing what they can make sense of? What does it mean when not one, two, three, four, five people see something, but 20 people see it and then it escalates in the hundreds? Is this still mass hysteria because that definition doesn't fit anymore? Are they trying to communicate with us, these UFOs, even the Mothman, and they just can't because they're from a different time or they communicate in a different way? I kind of equated it to trying to use a Mac after you've been on a PC. It is like operating a spaceship. Yes, they're both computers, but everything is so different. So maybe these people like Cold or these searchers or whatever they are, even the UFOs, they're trying to tell us something, but they don't know our ways so things get lost in translation like they're saying the pope is going to get attacked and then he does but not in the way that was initially said maybe it's just breaches in the timeline i don't know but it's all happening around the mothman sightings and then i thought maybe it's similar to the way god talks to us because if anyone has experience with that if you're a follower of jesus christ god doesn't often communicate audibly in my experience there is differing ways of communication and some of it does feel like it comes from the inside of you i don't know how to explain it i don't really need to explain it if you know what i'm talking about you know but i was like this communication is weird like that so it's not how we talk but it might be how they talk it would be like if we're trying to talk to an ant a colony of ants and trying to warn them I don't know ant language. I mean, I watched A Bug's Life, but that's it. Connie and Keel then went with the two couples who saw the Mothman initially in the air, in the TNT area because those stories checked out and they didn't even really want attention or anything. He, Keel found them to be credible, so they all go back to the TNT area. Connie and Keel are searching an abandoned building. They're specifically looking for the Mothman. They find nothing. Just as they're about to leave, Connie turns and she's screaming bloody murder. Keel rushes her out and then the rest of the people try to comfort her. Keel then runs back in and looks for the Mothman. He sees nothing. He searches the wall that she was looking at when she was screaming. There's nothing reflective there. He can't find anything. He then goes back out to the group and then multiple people said they heard running and then there was a loud metallic clang as if something metallic like fell from a great height. And then they look, and Mary was bleeding from the ears. Keel suggested that this injury was a sign of concussion. So was there a change in air pressure? Was she hallucinating? What caused the shift in the atmosphere? Now we're going to talk about abject fear. Keel went back and searched the area, and he said he felt fear 
He felt fearful at specific points, but the weird thing about it is he could step in and out of the parameters. So there's this zone or this perimeter that can't be seen, but it exists, and he would walk a certain way. Maybe his pulse would quicken. Just that bad, bad, ominous feeling. And then he would he would step out of it, and it would be gone. So he thought that this was, he called it a, quote, ultrasonic zone of fear. And this is back in the 70s he published his findings. So to even speculate that there might be a shift in the atmosphere, a change in energy that would cause this is uh, interesting, to say the least. Is that what the Mothman creates? A zone of fear that, that can't be seen or heard, only felt, and it's a shift in the atmosphere. Another odd thing about when he was investigating the area is that not a single animal could be heard in the area. No bugs, no cicadas, no howling. This is the country. Remember, this is the country. It's a rural area, and anyone who's been there knows it's anything but quiet at night. And then I was thinking, animals know when things are weird or when things are about to happen or disasters are about to hit. They can sense the change in the atmosphere when a storm is coming. That might be what's going on here. They're all avoiding the ultrasonic zone that causes people like Keel, when they're in it, to feel fear. A study in England conducted by some university over there, I don't know what it was called, The Guardian reported on it, and they called it the fear frequency, which exists below 19 hertz, which I believe 19 hertz is what we can hear at. Like our ear levels, that's as low as we go. I think elephants can hear 5 hertz. They've really... So they did a study, and they found that 20% of people can actually hear these... Not hear these waves, but feel them. So infrared sound affects 20% of people. So they had... A bunch of people in one room where they didn't play the unhearable infrared sound, which is just really low, undetectable waves. And then in another room, they played the infrared sound. And then those people, 20% of them, reported feeling uneasy, anxious, even terror at some points. They just felt bad. It felt ominous. It reminded me, the scientific study... The feeling of when people think that they're in a haunted place or there might be a ghost or they just feel weird. It might be us freaking ourselves out too. But this palpable feeling of uneasiness was very reminiscent of supernatural in terms of angels and demons. I kind of think that's what it might be and not this frequency thing. I don't know. Well, it's called the fear frequency. Also, it was on an episode of Mythbusters. They tested it, if people could tell or feel it. They invited people to a cabin. They didn't purposely make the cabin creepy. They made it... I mean, it is a cabin in the middle of the woods, so you're already kind of setting it up in your mind, but some people felt downright nauseous in the, the infrared wave cabin. I have felt this way. Now I'm wondering my own experiences when you step into an area and the vibes are weird, if it was infrared at all, or if there is something supernatural there and it affects the frequencies and, like, it's just the result is the infrared. But they were doing these scientific experiments and only messing with the sound waves, so I don't know. 
It does explain that feeling, though, doesn't it? That feeling of dread. What are some other theories about what the Mothman could be or could have been? It could have been a Thunderbird, which is a Native American legend, and it is like a a pterodactyl. It was seen as a foreboding sign in their culture. There's another story that's reminiscent of the Mothman. It happened in Germany in 78, so around the same time period. It was September 10th. 21 miners approached the mine where they worked, and they saw a huge man wearing a trench coat standing at the mouth of the cave. The trench coat then opened up, and they saw it was wings, not a trench coat at all. This giant man had wings. And then the miners said it let out a loud shriek that sounded something like a mashup between 50 men screaming and the squeak of a train as it hit the emergency brakes. They didn't know what to do. The thing just stood there. It didn't fly away or at them. But they were like, well, we still have to work, but we can't get around this thing. So they just busied themselves outside, keeping a safe distance from the Freiburg Trieker. And then for an hour, it just stood there. There was a fiery explosion as the mine collapsed behind the creature. Then it was gone. Had those 21 miners been working like they should have, they would have all died. So was that the Mothman? And was he saving lives? Was he sent as a warning for impending disasters? Is that what all these weird messages from weird people that author John Keel was getting? They're trying to warn you. They're trying to say the Pope is going to be assassinated, but there's some kink in the communication and the messages aren't coming out right. Is the Mothman an angel or a demon? Is this a supernatural take? Is it scientific? Is it a historical legend? Is it a symptom of Chief Cornstalk, the Native American? Is it because of his curse? There was another author that, by the last name Gray, who would often prank Keel, and they were both kind of investigating the same material. And then, okay, so maybe some of this is hoaxes. You could fake the men in black thing, just get a suit, put on weird makeup, show up at people's houses, be really weird, ask for strange things like water, not now, but in 10 minutes, and then take a weird pill. You could be weird like that. That's fakeable. However, some of these things are not. And why would all these people keep saying it? It's the numerous accounts for me. And I'm not even telling you guys all of them. There was also warnings of the MLK assassination, but the month was wrong. Like all these really important details are getting mixed up in these messages that Keel is getting from he doesn't even know where. He would get messages at hotels that he hadn't decided to stay at until 10 minutes earlier. So it's not like people knew where he would be. The whole thing is just strange. At one point, he even disconnected his phone because it would ring every single day forever. And then he disconnects it, so he stops getting these calls, and it's still ringing. Like, this guy, that would drive any of us nuts. Phone's not even in service, it's still ringing, and it's like warnings from the future, only they're not totally accurate, so you can't really prevent anything, and then you're stuck in this weird time gap, and you know things that you shouldn't know, but you know them, and then you're trying to help. Keel tried to reach out to Martin Luther King's people, and he couldn't get a hold of them, that's what he said, and he sadly was assassinated, may he rest in peace. He was also given messages about JFK's assassination, by 
uh, figure that was similar to Cold that Keel said would mess with him all the time. I'm not, this is somebody else's words. I'm not making any of this up. They might be, but I'm not. He said that this man's name was Apple, A-P-O-L, not like Steve Jobs from the grave. He was saying that he really liked pop culture and was a fan of Marilyn Monroe and JFK. And he said to Keel, tell JFK to avoid hotels, which he was assassinated near one. And then, so it's like weird details like that, where it's like, you know the story before everybody else seemingly, but you don't have the details right, so it just makes you feel like you're letting people die, and wow. Even though he can't really do anything anyway. Weird. There was an attempted murder of the Pope, Pope Paul VI. He was attacked, but he was attacked in the Manila airport. But the description of the attacker matches perfectly with that message that Keel received. The dressed in black robes even had a black dagger. It's just too weird. Even if there are errors in it, it's so weird. Then, the last sighting of the Mothman was recorded the day that the Silver Bridge collapsed. Right around that time, some people even say they saw the Mothman hovering in the air. So, was the Mothman trying to warn these people the whole time? Or is it just a sign that a disaster is coming and there's no prevention at all? What may have been the Mothman in Germany did save those 21 miners, but after the catastrophe that they had all avoided thanks to this creature, seemingly, they developed mental health issues like psychosis and weird things like that, which that Klieg conjunctivitis, the thing in your eyes from light, that's so weird. Like, just from looking at it, all of this is so weird. Don't take any of it as fact. I don't, but I do. You decide if you want to believe any of this. It's, what a weird story, right? And I'm not even talking about all the Chicago sightings. I may do another episode, but I've lost so much respect for myself and my intellect as I've reported on this that I might not. But there have been sightings in Chicago... One source said they started in 2011. We know that there have been at least over 50 in 2017 alone. It's popped up in other areas as well, like Pennsylvania and near Lake Michigan. Maybe this thing had babies. I just don't understand what the point of it is. I don't think I'm doubting the existence. I just don't understand the the meaning. There was also a sighting in Woodstock, Illinois. That was on February 22nd of 2019. So these are recent. Hmm. And city sightings, city of Chicago, so we've left a rural area. And it's at least a hundred, some sources said, in Chicago. One or two people, you may be like, all right, that's nonsense. But 20, 30, 40, you're like, there might be something here. One resident of Chicago, I think her name was Sarah, you can look this up on YouTube. She recorded a video and it's pretty far away, but if it's that far away and that big from that far away, that's bigger than a bat. And I thought this thing might be a fox bat. I don't know if you've ever seen that. They're just like giant bats. They might be like four feet tall, five feet tall. But even that's, it's too big from the video that she recorded. It wouldn't, a fox bat wouldn't look like that from that far away. And then I was like, what if it's a pterodactyl that evolved? And I was like, I don't know anything about dinosaurs. I'm not going down that road. I just don't think... It's a sandhill crane, which people are trying to say. They just don't get that big, and they don't look that way. And no one said 
The Mothman had a neck. They all distinctively said he doesn't have a neck. Like his head is just like attached to his body or something like that. Sandhill Crane obviously has a neck. Also, the eyes aren't red. The top of his head is red. But that's, that doesn't fit, right? So is it a mutated species? Is it a governmental diversion? I kind of like the idea of mutation, you know, surrounding that TNT area. Because maybe, but then you're like, mm, I don't know, mutation cases that we do know of with animals. It's not like we get some superhuman weird creature thing. It's just like the fish has an extra fin. Like it's really not even that exciting. I think it's real. I respect myself less for thinking that it's real. And I hope you respect me less too. But these are just all the stories that I found. And I feel like I'm not even getting into the half of it. I don't know if I should. I don't know if this benefits anyone. But it's entertained me for quite some time. And when I started reading about the sightings in Chicago near the O'Hare Airport, which is where I'm headed today, ironically enough, I was like... I need to talk to someone about this, even if I'm just talking in the void. What is the point? Why did so many people see it? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I thought maybe at one point it would be a gargoyle. Then I looked that up. Gargoyles aren't real things. They're just part of architecture. So I was like, okay, it's definitely a real thing. It's living. Can't be that. I'm thinking that I'm so confused and I know so much information now. But I also know nothing. Thank you for listening to me. I'm so glad I got to tell you a story. I can't wait to tell you another. I promise it won't be nonsense like this one. Let me know if you like this. Are you into this kind of thing? I'm not going to be researching aliens. But. I don't know. Maybe we could get into some legends. How about legends? I'm kind of into legends. Because I can't really be proven or disproven. If you want to hear more about that kind of thing, you can DM me at JLE Podcast. Give me your feedback. You can review this podcast on Apple. You can rate it on Spotify. You can follow it wherever you listen. Tell your friends. Jelly comes out with new episodes twice a week, Tuesdays and Saturdays. I'm so glad we all get to be together and I get to tell you a story, even when it's absolute ballyhoo like this one. I cannot wait to tell you another. I will see you Saturday. And then, of course, I will see you next Tuesday.